I'm Austin. I'm Alex. And you're listening to One Last Breath, an autopsy of awful albums. Where we discuss controversial, bizarre, divisive, and downright abysmal albums. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the third album by world-famous artist, savant, <laughs> musician, question mark. Trailblazer. Trailblazer. Um, Frank Zappa's favorite man. Eh, I don't know. They had some beef. But probably the Captain Beefheart. <laughs> Captain Beefheart. He had beef with the Beefheart. Um, ca- ca- specifically Captain Beefheart and his magic band. And this is the album, of course, Trout Mask Replica. Uh, Trout Mask Replica is a very important album for experimental music. It combines elements of avant-garde, garage rock, blues, R&B, and free jazz while utilizing polyrhythm, polynotes, and multi-octave vocals to create one vastly unique listening experience. Not gonna know. How much did you know about polyrhythm before writing this script? <laughs> I mean, I know what polyrhythm is. Poly notes. I was, I was like, I don't really know what that is, but it's essentially, isn't it just the same thing with but with uh, vocals? I think so. I, I, I read the I read the little snippet of it real quick. I knew I knew kind of what polyrhythm is. It's just basically playing different rhythms at the same time. Yeah, which <laughs> he does a lot of fucking polyrhythm in this. Yeah, I mean, I listen to a decent amount of like math rock and post hardcore and jazz fusion. It does that shit. Now, unfortunately, before we go to talk about the album, we do have to figure out about Captain Beefheart. And also, he fucking... There's, I don't know, there was like a lot about him that he fabricated or he would say contradictory things in different interviews and stuff. So I tried to stick with what is known facts because if it was going by little uh, little lies he made up, you know, just to... Because I guess it was kind of part of his persona. Yeah, was, like, to, was to make up shit about himself. This is art rock. Yeah, there are two art rock bands I've listened to now, and the other one is really good. Who was that? And so I watch you from afar. Oh, my favorite art rock band. Yeah, I mean, which uh, speaking of, if you haven't listened to, and so I watch you from afar, they're not going to be on the podcast, <laughs> but they are going to live in your heart. Yeah, they're really good. Um, but either way, he was born as Don Van Valet. Uh, which kind of sounds I like... I think it's Vleet. Vleet. Van Vleet. I'm pretty sure. So either it sounds like Filet or it sounds like Leet, and both of those led him to becoming Captain <laughs> But he was born on January 15th in 1941 in Glendale, California. You know, he struck me as a British man. Yeah, same. So does Zappa. I always thought Zappa was British. Zappa's not British. No, he's also from California. What? Yeah, I always thought he was till not that long ago. Okay, um... I mean, you would think British people are the only ones weird enough to do some shit like this. Yeah, um, I just, I just assumed because every famous musician from the se- the 60s and 70s is British. Except for Leonard Skinner. They're the only ones, though. Yeah, well, like, like, all, like, most of the, like, most of the good ones, most of the good white ones are British. The good white ones, yeah. Because I, obviously rock and roll... We're not, this is not a rock and roll history podcast, but rock and roll did start in the African-American community, and there were some really good artists that had all of their shit stolen by Elvis. True. But yeah, that's a good point. Most of the most rock, besides the very beginnings, was British. Yeah, until, and, then it, and then it became not British again. Point, yeah. And now it's no longer British. But, I mean, this was before a lot of that shit, too, before, like, Skinner and Allman Brothers and shit. Yeah, so. the, he was a very early American pioneer of being a fucking weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> uh, he So he showed artistic promise at a very young age. At the age of three, he started painting and sculpting. Mostly his favorite animals like dinosaur, fish, 
African mammals and lemurs. I thought this said African Americans. Oh no! <laughs> African mammals. African mammals. Uh, like, you so know, like gazelle. Gazelle or... and uh, ibex. Giraffe. Giraffe. Yeah. Um, at age nine, he won a children's sculpting competition organized by the LA Zoo by a local sculpting tutor. Augustino Rodriguez. I can't pronounce that first name. Um, but Van Vallee, Van Vliet, later worked as an apprentice under Rodriguez, who considered him a prodigy. According to Van Vliet, his parents were disapproving of his craft due to their distaste in arts, apparently declining several of his scholarship offers. How much of a bitch <laughs> do you have to be to hate art? Yeah, they, they apparently said it was, uh, well, these weren't the actual words, but they said art was gay. So, but in, in different terms. <laughs> so. They're not wrong. They're not like, wrong. you don't say that. Yeah, like, oh, we're not gonna let you follow your dream. <laughs> um, so he, his family moved to Lancaster, California in the Mojave, Mojave? Mojave. 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 <laughs> Desert when he was 13. I've had a long day at work. <laughs> Around this time, he gained an interest in music, mostly blues artists such as Robert Johnson, Howlin' Wolf, and Muddy Waters, as well as jazz artists such as John Coltrane, Theolonious Monk, and Ornette Coleman. I don't know who Ornette Coleman is, but I do know about the monk. <laughs> He's Thelonious. I've and heard. Of course, we all know about fucking Coltrane and Muddy Waters and... Robert Johnson, and Howlin' Wolf is apparently another guy. <laughs> he was um, Howlin'. While attending Antelope Valley High School, Van Vlay came, became close friends with classmate Frank Zappa, and the two bonded over their love of music. Okay, so they weren't... I thought he was just, like, Zappa was just like, this dude's fucking weird, get him an album. Yeah. But they were friends in high school? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool stuff. Was Captain Beefheart secretly in Zappa's band? Did he ghostwrite some Zappa? I, I don't think so, no. I don't think they ever... I mean, they, they've they had, like, at least one collab album together, but I think on, like, their solo show... I mean, Zappa was on this album a little bit, and so were members of his band. Okay. But, I mean, it's, it's entirely possible that Beefheart members, or Magic Band members and Beefheart were on Zappa shit. I don't fucking know. Fucking Frank Zappa has, like, 64 albums or some crazy shit yeah also so. i always think about zappa as being from a later era like for some reason when i think of zappa i think of the 80s yeah but he but he, he started in the 60s yeah his first album was like 67 or something but i mean he was quote-unquote big in the 70s and 80s I yeah guess. he died in 93 like rest in peace to a real one yeah without zappa i don't think the music we like would have would exist no probably not <laughs> um so, Van Vlay described Zappa as a spoiled only child, often locking himself in his room and demanding that his mom bring Reverse. him a Pepsi. Oh, Van Vlay was described as Zappa yeah. <laughs> as a Pepsi boy. Yeah. Give him his fucking Pepsi. He just wants a Where's Pepsi. Where's my fucking Pepsi? Van Vlay's Pepsi moods became sort of an inside <laughs> joke with his future bandmates and Zappa, with Zappa even later writing a song, Why Doesn't Someone Give Him a, a Pepsi, that was performed on a, a Beefheart Zappa tour. <laughs> Do you think uh, Suicidal Tendencies... <laughs> Knew that song, and they were like, let's just throw that into an institutionalized. I oh fucking hope so. So, Van Vlay, I'm just, I'm just going to start calling him Beefheart. I'm tired of saying his fucking name. <laughs> Beefheart and Zappa began collaborating musically around 64, after Zappa had turned PAL Studio in Cucamonga, California, into Studio Z. They recorded several originals and covers. Among, among them was The Birth of Captain Beefheart, the first appearance of Beefheart. Mm-hmm. Uh, the name, like a lot of other aspects of his life, of Beefheart's life, don't really have a reliable or clear answer. It's been said it came from Beefheart's uncle, who'd exposed himself to his girlfriend, leaving the door open while urinating. If she walked by, he would say about his penis, Ah, 
What a beauty. It looks just like a big, fine beef heart. <laughs> I was like, alright. Uh, beef heart also said that one day he saw a fisherman cutting the bills off of pelicans, and it made him sad and put a beef in his heart. He also said it referred to a beef in my heart against society. He's also said not to ask him why or how he and Zappa came up with the name, and that might be the best answer to the question. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I want to know. Um, he began performing locally around this time, starting to gain some attraction, or some attention. In 1965, guitarist Alex Schnaufner, Schnaufer? Schnaufer. Oh, yeah, I don't Whatever. Know. Known by stage name Alex St. Clair, invited Beefheart to sing for a group he was assembling. The result was the first incarnation of the Magic Band. They signed AM, A&M Records and released two singles in 1966. The first was a cover of Bo Diddley's Diddy Wah Diddy, and next came Moonchild. The band started working on their first album and presented a, de a demo to the record label. However, the label dropped the band after hearing the song Electricity, declaring it too negative. <laughs> I I can see some negativity in the beef heart genre. Yeah, I listened to uh, to those two A and M singles, and then I listened. I didn't listen to the full album that Electricity's on, but I listened to the song like those back to back to compare them. And it, it is pretty different. I was I was expecting it to just be the same, and you know, was it like actually like real music at first? Well, the first two were more. I mean, it was a Bo, Bo Diddley cover. Is yeah, that what I said yeah. So I mean, it really just sounded like a old blues rock song, and then the other one was kind of in the same vein. And then Electricity was, I want to definitely not as weird as stuff on Trap Mask Replica, but. It, it was a little different. Like, I could definitely see how they would hear that and be like, uh, I'm not sure about keeping these guys on the label anymore. Okay. <laughs> um, but then they turned to Bob Krasnow of Kama Sutra Records, and he signed them to the subsidiary label, Buddha. What a fucking nerd. <laughs> Already present between their debut single and debut album is the ever-changing lineup the Magic Band has had. They constantly changed members and even rotated members' instrumental duties. An example of this was Alex St. Clair switched from drums on the singles to guitar on the album. Despite this, or due to this, we're not even going to try to attempt to keep track of the lineup throughout the band's career. We'll just present the lineup for the album when we get to it. Yeah, you would be here for probably 20 extra minutes if we did that for every album. This is already going to be like a 25-30 minute intro, especially with us making snide comments and jabs at Beefheart. True. So yeah, we're trying to keep it keep it simple. Because we have a lot of albums. This is probably going to be our longest episode. Yeah, possibly. Um, well, with the signing to Buddha, the debut Safe as Milk was released in 67, the album, June of 67. The album was heavily influenced by Delta Blues while adding elements of garage rock, R&B, acid rock, and folk rock. The album was heavily advertised, but a planned, a, a planned appearance at the Monterey Pop Festival fell through, causing the hype and falter in the album ended up failing to chart in the U.S. or the U.K. This would be a continued theme for the U.S., where none of the band's albums ever reached the top 100. However, the U.K., uh, in the UK, several of the band's albums achieved moderate chart success. Save as Milk has received positive reviews and was included in the book A Thousand and One Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. Which is a lot of albums, and I really want to <laughs> I really want to go through it one day, and like I really would like to listen to all thousand and one albums. Yeah. But the only problem is I think that shit came out in like two thousand four or something, so it's already very, very outdated. We should write a new one. I mean I'm sure people. If you people give probably... us all a hundred dollars a piece. We will, we Why'd will, you say us all? Like there's not like there's more than two of us. If if every <laughs> one of you gives us a hundred dollars and we get enough money to quit our jobs, we will write the three thousand and seven albums. Three thousand and seven. The the one thousand three hundred and thirty seven albums 
you have to beef harp. You have to listen to before you beef. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Drops phone. Yeah, I, it would be cool to do that, but I feel like since it was released about 20 years ago, there's probably a bunch of random shit from like the fucking 60s that aren't even... That isn't even that good. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know. I, I feel like, I mean, I haven't read it, but I feel like it's probably filled with a lot of uh, kind of irrelevant shit now. Yeah. So. Um, but after that, we get Strictly Personal in October of 68. They followed Bob Krasnow to his new label, Blue Thumb, for this release. A defining mark of Strictly Personal is Krasnow adding phasing and reverb effects to the recording to fit in with the popular psychedelic rock scene. After the album fan failed to be a success... Beefheart condemned this choice and said it was done without his knowledge or his consent. <laughs> you must consent with the beef. Other fan members, however, have stated he agreed to these choices. <laughs> the tracks have been released on several different albums and compilations featuring the original and unprocessed recordings. Um, it has received mixed to positive reviews, with the recording effects being a major drawback for many critics and fans. Next, we get to what we're going to be talking about for a long time today. <laughs> a very long time. His main claim to fame. Trout Mass Replica. The double album. Is this a double album? Yeah. I, I mean, it's fucking 26 tracks or something like that. It is over an hour long. Yeah, it's an hour and 18 minutes. It's ridiculous. But it was released in June of 69. Nice. <laughs> uh, it was produced by Zappa, and the lineup for the album is Captain Beefheart on lead vocals and various instrumentals. Uh, Drumbo, who's John French on percussion, which there is a interview with Drumbo... <laughs> that I meant to watch. It, uh, it kept coming on my suggestions when listening to this mm. album. And I will have to... Leak, we might link it when we release the episode of We Remember. But okay. It's, is it like an old interview or a it's recent? A, I think it's a recent interview about this album. Oh, that, that should be interesting, yeah. So I, I, I meant to watch it, but I just didn't fucking have time. This is a lot of album, and life has also been a lot of life recently. <laughs> yeah, very true. Um, so, and then also has Antenna Jim, Jimmy Siemens. Jeff Cotton on guitar. Yeah, Jimmy Seen. Uh, and Steel Appendage guitar, which is a slide guitar with a metal slide. Yeah. <laughs> it just, it just, he just wanted to make a dick joke. <laughs> we have Zoot Horn Rollo, uh, who is Bill Harkle, Harkle Road on guitar and Glass Finger guitar, which is another slide guitar with a glass slide this time. <laughs> yeah. Um, because they do make different noises if you didn't know. Extra quirky. Uh, we have Rocket Morton, Mark Boston on bass. And finally, the mascara snake, <laughs> Victor Hayden on bass clarinet. <laughs> that sounds like a failed, like third-rate WWE wrestler. It's, the mascara snake. It sounds like a boss from the PSP Metal Gear Solid games. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> the Colonel, the mascara snake, can hear my dummy thick ass cheeks clapping. Bring back those fucking memes where people yeah. will just do solid we're paying. We need to pay Bill Hader to do more stuff. People were, yeah, people were paying to do that. Colonel, I'm dummy thick. <laughs> um, all members besides Drumbo provided some lead vocals and or spoken word in at least one or more songs. There are also various mostly uncredited musicians to appear on the albums and various tracks, mostly members of Zappa's band, The Mothers of Invention. The background of this album is pure insanity. Uh, I also want you guys to know that I also don't know what's coming next. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I decided to read this one blind because I thought it'd be funnier. I think so it, far, it's been funnier. Didn't you do that with uh, Alien Rap as well? Yeah, you read yeah. that one blind. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think we're just going to have it where the weird ones, I just read blind because I think, it, I think it's funnier. Yeah, I feel like it's worked out that way. Um, so the band rehearsed for eight months, living in communally in a small rental house in L.A., uh, 
Beefheart assumed an almost cult-like leadership over the band with a friend who visited recalling. The environment in that house was positively Manson-esque. The band, fives are strong. Band members were restricted from leaving the house and practiced for 14 or more hours a day. With the only house... ins- that was like the most insane part to me. I'm like, Jesus Christ. We used to practice a lot in Insular, but never that much. Not fucking 14 hours every day. We We'd would, take smash breaks. We would do like eight hours on a Saturday with like, yeah, like two hours smash break in between. And go into fucking <laughs> McKay's or and something. cook out and shit. Like fucking 14 hours a day. Jesus um, Christ. With the only household income being welfare, the band survived on <laughs> a sparse diet. Band members were berated by Beefheart, and the situation sometimes even led to physical violence. I would like, you know how some bands will do a documentary that's like them recording themselves making an album. Oh yeah, like uh, Metallica doing some kind of monster, and yeah, Lars I was would, a little bitch on it. <laughs> I would pay very good money just for CCTV footage. <laughs> Of them Unregistered eating, eating green beans and then fist fighting each other. You know, you're not far off. They said, uh, or one of them, I think it might have been Drumbo, I forgot to add it, said that for a month period, they survived off of like one cup of kidney beans or something a day. Like all of them. <laughs> Some crazy shit like that. I think green beans have a little more nutritional value. I think so. I, maybe it wasn't a kidney bean. Maybe it was like a fucking Great Northern. I don't think. We're getting through this faster than I thought. Many of the songs were composed by Beefheart on the piano, an instrument he had never played before. Sorry, I had to take a pause there. What the fuck? I mean, it's it's very Beefheart-esque. It's very Beefheart-esque. Um, he would play the piano until he found a rhythm or melody you like, then John French would transcribe it into musical notation. French would then piece these fragments together into full compositions, then decide which part would be played on what instrument. So really, John French, what was his fucking... Drumbo. That's Drumbo. Drumbo. Drumbo was really the genius behind this album. Yeah, essentially. He would do he would do that, and then, I guess, like, run it by Beefheart, since I feel like Beefheart kind of seemed like a... Uh, he, he what's, is, the, what's the word? Perfectionist. Perfectionist. He's also kind of the... Um, the fucking Robert Smith of this band. Mm, yeah. Um, famously, if you didn't know Robert Smith for like what seven Cure albums, maybe it was like it was <laughs> like their the stuff historian. up until like the eighties, I think, or maybe up until the nineties. Even Robert Smith famously would not let the other band members write anything, mm-hmm. um, which is insane, but made for some really good music. Yeah, there's a few bands like that where you wouldn't think about it because, like, the members are so talented, but it's like, no, just this one guy fucking just wrote all their parts. <laughs> yeah, this one guy just didn't know. It's like, no, I'm, I'm doing Which everything. Is, it, it's actually pretty... I mean, it's... It's pretty common in music to just have one guy who writes everything and the rest of them are just, like, very talented musicians who will ad-lib stuff when recording. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's usually... Or a lot of times it can be that or... The case with a lot of metal bands, usually the guitarist, if there's two guitar, like Slayer, yeah. Hanneman and King, like our last episode, they write, or Everything. wrote pretty much every Slayer song, then fucking, uh, I mean, Megadeth, I'm pretty sure Mustaine wrote pretty much every song, so, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, like, like it's, it's more common than you would think. Yeah, it just, like, you feel like, especially when you start, if you're starting a band, find the guy who's really good at writing music and let him do it all. Yeah. Don't fucking... Fucking have fun playing in a band. Look yeah. at other guy do all the work. You, you can you can add a little flair to your parts if need be, but <laughs> but uh, for the recording of the album, Zappa originally wanted to go for a field recording method at the house the band lived in. 
Beefheart became suspicious that Zappa was trying to be cheap and get out of using a real studio, which ultimately ended up happening. However, some tracks recorded at the house made it to the final product. Hair Pie, Bake One, and three tracks recorded on a cassette recorder at home at the house. China Pig, and two acapella poems, The Dust Forward and The Dust Flows Back, and The Orange Claw Hammer. Which I could tell whenever yeah. whenever we, or whenever I was listening to the album, those four songs specifically, I was, or not a hair pie, bake, whatever the fuck, but the three that were recorded on the recorder, mm-hmm. all three of those, when they would come up, I would be like, I can tell that this is, like, are they doing this on purpose, making it sound shitty, but no. <laughs> uh, the band completed 20 instrumental tracks in a single six-hour recording session. Wow. Um, the next few days were spent by Beefheart overdub- overdubbing the vocals. He didn't wear headphones while doing so, and said just listening to the audio through the studio window, which caused many of the vocals to be out of sync with the instruments. You can tell. <laughs> that God, it. this is a fucking lad. Yeah, this is, this is based. <laughs> this is how you do music. Captain, if you're starting a band, do it like this. Captain Based Heart. Captain Based Heart. <laughs> based Beef. All of these aspects of the songwriting and recording process proved to make for one of the most challenging listens of all time. Because without saying that Trout, Trout Mask Replica was not commercially successful. The really? album, in its spirit, is purposely anti-commercial and even anti-music. With all this considered, Trout Replica is still by far the most celebrated and influential album we've covered yet. Um, I and and we, unfortunately, a close second is the the Shags. Yeah, funny how that works. Two albums released, I think, both in '69. I mean, it makes it like stuff released earlier has more of a chance to become influential. Yeah, that's like, true. Like I would argue that. Uh, New Levels, New Devils by Polyphia is going to go on to be an incredibly influential album. Oh yeah, for we sure. won't know until we're like sixty. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, it's funny how how that works out. Two albums we covered very recently that I'm pretty sure came out in the same year and are and both are very kind of in the hard same hard to listen to. Yeah, kind of in the same vein. I mean, you know, you got one unintentional, shitty quote unquote, and then one intentional. Was shitty. this intentional? I think so. I would hope so. I mean, I feel I feel like it's probably 70, eh, 85% intentional, 15% unintentional. I would, I would argue, um, I think it's intentional on everyone's part except for Beefheart, who thought he was writing a masterpiece. Eh, I don't know. I feel like he's, I mean, him and Zappa, I feel like, have the same mind, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Not process. Same mindset, I guess, when it comes to approaching music. Where they just make things as abrasive and challenging as possible. Yeah. I mean, because Zappa fucking said that the Shags were better than the Beatles. Like, obviously. He's not wrong. <laughs> he's not wrong, fucking. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's mostly intentional. I mean, yeah. you gotta. I feel like you gotta deliberately say, I'm not gonna wear headphones and just listen to this through a fucking probably fiberglass wall and maybe, maybe try to record. Maybe he had sensitive ears. I don't know. He could have. He didn't have his Raycons. <laughs> this episode sponsored <laughs> by Raycons. <laughs> I wish. No, it's not. It's not. Raycons don't sue us. That's my favorite whenever fucking YouTubers or podcasters find a clever way to bring in an ad. I'm always All like, I'm saying Damn. is, if you do want an ad spot on this, I just proved by that I'm really good at bringing them in. Yeah. So. And I, I use Raycons. I use Raycons to listen to this album like seven We're fucking times. We're not sponsored by Raycons, <laughs> but they are the best earbuds I've ever used. I love Raycons. They're nice. Um, so, with all this considered, Trout Mask Replica is by far the most, so, yeah, blah blah blah, celebrated influential album we've ever covered. 
Lester Bangs, in his original review for the album upon release, hailed the album as a total success, a brilliant, stunning enlargement and clarification of Captain Beefheart's art. I don't know why I'm reading all of these. <laughs> like, I'm a, like, I'm reading all the quotes like I'm a fucking newsie. I mean, close enough. Uh, years later, he added, It was not even ahead of its time in 1969. Then and now, it stands outside of time. Trends, fads, hypes, the rise and fall of whole genres eclectic as walking Christmas trees, constituting a genre unto itself. Truly, a musical monolith if there ever was one. It has been described as the, as the standard by, um, by which almost all experimental rock music is judged by The Guardian. The album has also been considered a huge influence on the punk New Wave movements. The album hails many fans, including Simpsons creator Matt Groening, director David Lynch, guitarist Steve Vai, and, guitar, uh, and guitarist John Fushiante of RHCP. <laughs> RHCP. <laughs> uh, Trap Mask Replica has even made its way onto numerous top albums of all-time list, including Rolling Stones at number 60. Even, it was even added to the Library of Congress in 2011. That's pretty sick. Uh, can you imagine... Just not knowing much about music. <laughs> just being like, well, Congress only has really good music. Yeah. Congress only has the most important music. Yeah, just randomly be like, I'll choose this one. And you're like, you listen to some Beethoven. <laughs> um, you listen to some Elvis. Yeah. Uh, you listen to then you hit like, Nirvana. Then you hear like Sgt. Peppers and you're like, okay, this is, this is a little you hit out Sergeant there. Sgt. Peppers and you're like, this is a little weird, but the man really knows how to play the sitar. <laughs> And then you're like, okay, how weird can it really be in the Library of Congress? <laughs> and then you go home and enjoy the rest of your life not knowing this album exists. <laughs> I need to look at what's uh, like the full Library of Congress list for albums. I bet, I yeah, bet be... I, I bet it's cool. Uh, I bet there's a lot. Hey, that would be a probably more doable than the 1,001 albums you must hear before you die. Completionist list. I, I have decided I'm going to listen to all of Rolling... This is a tangent. Um, I just want to tell everyone in case you want to do this journey with me. So I'm going to read. Um, AMC has a hundred movies for hundred years. And it's one movie yeah. every year. So I'm going to watch all of those. Um, Penguin Publication has 50 greatest books you have to read. I'm mm. going to read all of those. Nice. And I'm also going to listen to the top 100 of Rolling Stones albums. So I, I've decided to do that just sometime before I die. You no, got, no time limit. you got some lengthy tasks ahead of you. I think it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be really enriching. I um, feel like out of all of those, I've probably either heard the most of the albums on that list or read the most books. I think I've seen the most movies, which is only like I mean, 30-something. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Just I, I only say that because when I watch movies, I tend to watch really shitty and obscure B horror movies, and which if you want a podcast about really <laughs> shitty and obscure B horror movies, let us know and we'll do it. Let us know. It'll be a like once a month, maybe once every two weeks kind of thing. It won't be as frequent as this, but we'll do it. Yeah, that could be fucking fun. I mean, we I've, love bad movies. Yeah, I mean, just to give you an idea, I've seen every single, uh, or both of us have seen every single Paranormal Entity movie, which is a uh, Asylum. If you guys know them, uh, fucking they just make mockbusters. It's their knockoff series of paranormal activity. We've seen all of those, but I haven't seen Citizen Kane. So that just gives you an idea of where I'm at in my life. <laughs> Same. Um, so how would Captain Beefheart and his magic band follow up this behemoth of an album? Fairly quietly. The next year... There should have been a comma there. The next year in December of, of 1970 with Lick My Decals Off, baby. <laughs> it didn't make nearly as much of an impact as Trap Mask Replica, but some critics and fans consider it superior. Next came a four-song... 
much shorter, which is important to know. Good. It's only like 32 minutes. I Good. <laughs> Unfortunately, next was a four-song album. Sounds great. Mirror Man in April 71. It was 52 minutes of blues jam. <laughs> it's the problem. It's the problem. <laughs> um, after that, Spotlight Kid and Clear Spot, uh, which Clear Spot just sounds like a really shitty mockbuster about the cool spot from 7-Up. Hmm which you are probably too young to know what the cool spot is. <laughs> You're only two years older than me. The fuck you mean? <laughs> I am too young to know what the fucking cool spot is. I don't, yeah, I mean, I don't know what that is. But... Um, he was a 7-Up mascot that got in video games. Okay. He's the so spot. like Pepsi Man. He's the spot on the 7-Up game. Okay. Um, I mean, yeah, that can make a good platformer, I suppose. I don't even think it was a platformer. <laughs> um... But uh, Clear Spot and the Spotlight Kid were next in January and October of 72. They were a little more commercial, but still received well by fans and critics. The next two albums, Unconditionally Guaranteed and Blue Jeans and Moonbeams, in April and November of 74, were even more commercial and uninspired. And Beefheart urged fans to return copies, calling them horrible and vulgar. Vulgar. Imagine Beefheart calling something vulgar. <laughs> After a four-year break, Shiny Beast, Bat Chain Puller, was released in October of 78 with positive critical reviews and as a fan favorite. The same can be said for Beefheart's last two albums released in his lifetime, 1980's Dock at the Radar Station and 1982 Ice Cream for Crow, ending his career as a musician off with a bang as he retired from music to begin career as a painter. Are his paintings as weird as his music? I only saw a couple of them that were on Wikipedia. <laughs> but, I mean, they look pretty weird, but, I mean, I... Were they good? I mean... Sure, I, I'm not the I'm not the person to ask for good art. Especially, neither am I. Especially when it comes to uh, like abstract and expressionist art. Like I I, I, don't, I don't know how the fuck to judge if something's good or not. I don't understand visual art, and at this point, I'm a little too afraid to ask what I'm supposed to be feeling. Yeah, my my appreciation of visual art goes to like uh, graphic video novels game. and manga. Yeah, and like video game graphics, and uh... <laughs> I don't even care about video game graphics. They can look like shit. Minecraft is in the top... Minecraft and The Binding of Isaac are, like, the two games I have the most hours in. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't look good. And they don't look good. <laughs> um, Beefheart spent his retirement from music out of the spotlight, rarely appearing in public. Around the early 90s, he was using a wheelchair due to multiple sclerosis, although the severity of his condition at the time was disputed. He ended up passing away from his condition um, on December 17th, 2010, which is a long time to have MS. Is it... It is. My, I, I have a family member who passed from MS, and it, it took like seven years oh, for it to take him. So it's, it's, that's, a, that's a very long, like almost 20 years hmm. is a very long time to have MS. Um, a posthumous album was released in February 22nd of 2012 called Bat Chain Fuller. Yeah, just Bat Chain Fuller. <laughs> it was meant to be his 10th album that was never released due to Zappos manager Herb Cohen using Zappos royalty checks to fund the album to be released on Virgin Records. Zappa withheld the master tapes from Virgin, causing Beefheart to move to Warner Bros. Records and record Shiny Beast with Bat Chain Puller. Bat Chain Puller consisted of recording <laughs> tracks recordings of tracks from Shiny Beast, Bat Chain Puller, <laughs> Doc at the Radar Station, and Ice Cream for Crow, as well as a few unreleased tracks. Um, so if you're as confused as I am, yes. let's talk about the album. Yes. Well, uh, so essentially, Shiny Beast. Bat Chain Puller in parentheses was what ended up being released on Warner Bros. And then he posthumously, Bat Chain Puller came out and had albums from Shiny, whatever the fuck I Shiny, just... Shiny, whatever beast, Bat Chain Puller. <laughs> yeah. 
It is important to note that Bat Chain Puller is in parentheses of the first album and not in parentheses of the second album. Exactly. Oh, and also important to know, uh, the song Shiny Beast Bat Chain Puller, I think it said, the title track, was inspired by the, uh, the rhythm that B-Farts Windshield Wipers made. That's what I... he based the song on, apparently. I think I love this man. Um, so first, <laughs> initial impressions, which is something we, we don't... They're normally not that important. It's yeah. normally just like, oh, this album was, wasn't was bad the first time, or this album wasn't good the first... or whatever. I have... <clears throat> I, I, I realized something very quickly. I am the right person for this album. I did not have the right drugs for this album. Yeah, that's a that's I listened a to point. Stone Cold Sober. I didn't have any alcohol. I, I didn't have any kava. I didn't have anything. I was stone cold sober. Not even nicotine? I, I had nicotine. One one vape. <laughs> Me, one vape, Captain <laughs> Name a better trio. <laughs> and uh, I spent a lot of time. This album was an hour and 18 minutes long, like you said. Yeah, I long. spent a lot of time listening to this fucking album. Yeah, I think I listened to this shit six or seven times. <laughs> Like, I spent almost a full workday worth of time listening to this. Mm -hmm. And I did not have, I ended up with not a lot to say about it. Yeah, that's... My notes are very sparse. That's exactly it. I mean, it's... Like, what can you fucking say about it? Like, literally nothing that we could tell you or explain to you could even begin to put an image, or put... A sound in your mind that is anything what this album sounds like and like, like I, I don't know how to explain I it. want you to listen to this podcast I, I don't want you to stop listening to it because <laughs> we do have some notes but there is a podcast on there's another podcast on Spotify where each track gets its own episode and it's all okay. about this album I didn't listen to it but I if you are interested in this album listen to it and then probably listen to that I'm probably going to listen to that podcast and see what they have to say okay, about yeah. it see if I can decipher it more yeah, because um, I'm always happy to shout out other pods who are more successful than me. <laughs> yeah, because I don't, I'm definitely not the right fucking person to explain to you what the hell is going on in this shit. Uh, I'm fucking not either. But we're going to begin with Frownland. Frownland, yeah. It's, I mean, kind of sets the album up for. I think it's a good opening track. It really sets you up for what you're going to get. Yeah, it's, it's a good opening track. Uh,. I'd say it's one of the more straightforward songs on the album, uh, which I mean, first first listen of it when I heard it, I was like, "Oh, this shit's pretty fucking weird." Little did I know it was gonna get yeah, one hundred and twenty five percent more yeah, fucking I was like, weird. Oh, this is what I have to deal with. It's I can handle this, and yeah. then it gets weirder. Yeah, I mean, but you have a lot of the key elements right off the bat, like the all over the place vocals that don't match up with the instrumentation. Odd time signature, guitar riffs, a bunch of just spazzy drumming. That, out of tune instruments. Uh, yeah, out of tune instruments. But the lyrics are pretty tame in comparison to the rest of the album. And I'd say pretty on par with most of the stuff during the hippie movement. Like, yeah. really no crazy uh, what-the-fuck moments in this song for the most part, except for some of the instrumentation. So, yeah, I'd say it's definitely a good opener. <laughs> um yeah it's it's just weird but it's not that weird not that weird um after that we get the dust blows forward and the dust blows back which is one of the field recordings i believe yeah one of the field recordings and one of the first of uh three spoken word tracks on the album um this one i think if i'm not mistaken has a little bit of instrumentation behind it still 
No, no, it doesn't. Oh, it's just it's just the weird speak singing. Oh no, I I even haven't heard it's acapella. I'm just fucking stupid. I didn't read my notes. <laughs> um, it's one of the easier to listen to songs because there's not discordance. There's just him saying, "We really wanted <laughs> to write down what." these acapella songs were about because there's not much you can really say about an acapella or song. any of the songs are about for that matter. um but specifically the acapella songs because there's not a lot you can say there's only him doing the someone doing the weird speak singing it's before yeah it's before doing weird speak singing but it's just a stream of consciousness nonsense mm-hmm. that means nothing yeah i i read uh like the genius descriptions i mean the fucking Actual lyric annotations didn't really do shit, but the descriptions of the song kind of helps us out here. It was saying it's inspired by the Great Depression. Okay. Question mark. That makes sense. I don't know how accurate that is, because, yeah, I mean, it's really kind of beef heart walking through, I guess, nature, but it seems pretty barren and sparse. Yeah, maybe the Dust Bowl. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. He just talks about a bunch of fucking animals he sees and, like, hot coffee and a crumpled can, fucking trash everywhere. It's it's just a bunch of weird shit. It's just basically him just listing a bunch of items and animals. (laughs) It's fucking, it's weird. Yeah, and then um, I do like the last part where he's, like, with my girl named Limbo, Bimbo, Spam. (laughs) The way he says it's hilarious. It's it's a weird song. Um, which I'm gonna I'm gonna stop saying that after every song because they're all weird. <laughs> it's a weird song. So, anyways, that's how blues. Yeah, um, uh, which is almost a normal song. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, it's it's um, not that out there in terms of the instrumentation. Up until Squidward <laughs> comes out of fucking nowhere with that clarinet, Mister Squidward. What was the fucking clarinetist name? Uh, fucking Metal Gear Solid. Oh, uh, the the fucking um glamour no not uh, mascara snake mascara snake mascara snake viper or something i don't know i think it was just the mascara snake either way he comes in and it's you can tell he knows how to play the clarinet pretty well yeah it's some it's some really cool uh clarinet parts and i think there's some other uh horns going on there maybe but this is like written in a way that is not good clarinet yeah it's it's very uh very avant-garde jazz feeling when uh when he comes in but yeah, and this one that I did not catch at all, uh, listening to the album at all, <laughs> it was something that I also found out on Genius, was that this song is about the Holocaust. I assumed, casually. I assumed with the name Dachau Blues. Oh, well, I, I can't lie, I didn't know that Dachau was a oh. concentration camp, so. <laughs> See, I, like a lot of autistic children, children, uh, went through a phase where I read a lot about World War Two. Fair enough. So I, I was like immediately like, oh Dachau, yeah, I know what that is. Yeah. I, I also I also listen to a lot of like history podcasts mm-hmm. about like the worst people in history and yeah. the best people in history and they talk about like some of the best and worst people in history happened in World War Two. I mean, yeah, obviously. Yeah, I don't know much about I don't know. War history is interesting to me, but I'm more of a uh I guess culture history person like i like yeah. learning about music and mo- and film movements yeah. and uh serial kill i mean fucking true crime is like yeah, i mean everyone likes true crime i mean yeah but that's like one of my like i guess that's my corner of history that i'm really into so yeah i didn't i mean i guess shame on me i didn't know what that's how it was but 
Yeah, it's just casually about the Holocaust. Uh, fucking, I don't know. Slayer, <laughs> Slayer be like. Which, having that contest context, it makes it kind of a ominous song. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, after that, we get to Ella, Ella Guru. Ella Guru. Guru. Ella Guru. He says I that, think he says Ella Guru. Yeah, Ella Guru. Um, which is kind of a funk song. Yeah, kind of R and B ish. Yeah, like R and B funk. It's it's it gets me dancing. Yeah, I didn't pay this one much mind for the first like three or four listens. Like it kind of was just there for me, but I guess around fifth or sixth listen, it, I was like, damn, I actually really like this one. Like, I it, think this is this is the first one on the album that I would call actual genius. Yeah, it ended up being a pretty big standout for me. Uh, it's really catchy. I mean, still weird, but really catchy. Uh, and then I'm. It's really just him talking about how beautiful the presumably fictitious Ella Guru is. <laughs> I, I assume she's fake. Who knows? Uh, then we get to Hair Pie. Oh, also, uh, uh-huh. on Ella Guru, it's the first mention of the phrase fast and boldness, which is said very many times on the album. I don't... My sleep paralysis demon has been saying fast and boldness. <laughs> I didn't even have a sleep paralysis demon before I started listening to this album. Yeah, it's... I don't... I wake up in a cold sweat. Fast and bulbous. Yeah, it's always fast and bulbous. Bulbous and fast. <laughs> um, so after that, we get to Hair Pie, Bake One. Uh, the clarinet at the beginning is obviously someone, again, who is really talented at clarinet. Mm. But they just decided that today they were going to be a fucking dick. <laughs> fucking dick. Well, you say that, you don't like the clarinet on it? It's so... It's, it's really hard to listen to. Mm. See, this... For me, on the first listen... Hair, hair Pie Bake 1 and 2 were really the only songs that like immediately stuck with me, which is funny because they're instrumentals, but I really liked what they were going for in both of them. Uh, this one is essentially just a avant-garde jazz, jazz fusion type track. Um, I mean, I think it's really well done. There's tons of weird rhythms, a lot of different guitar parts yeah, going the guitar on. is really good. Every, I just... My problem is I don't like bad clarinet. Bad mm. clarinet is something like bad guitar. I can handle because I was bad at guitar once. <laughs> you don't like really shrieky and piercing like horn sections and shit like that. No, they hurt my head. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, but I, I like shit like that. I like the chaos in it. Um, but yeah, I really like this one. Uh, it was an immediate stick stick out for me on the album, and it ended up being one of my favorites. Okay. So. Yeah, I mean, not, not much else we can say about it, because it is an instrumental. Um, apparently, in one of my listens, I put down, this is about the point in the album where I feel my mental illness coming out. <laughs> so, that's that's good for the rest of my notes. You got, you got uh, almost through side one before that happened. Yeah, side A. Side A of, of uh, this one. God damn it. <laughs> Moonlight in Vermont. This one's catchy. It's another straightforward song. Yeah, so far I would say the most straightforward on the album. Up um, to this point. Yeah, I, I, it might be one of my favorites, because mm-hmm. it's one of the easiest to listen to. The main riff is so fucking catchy. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are, for as weird as the guitar is, there are a lot of catchy guitar parts on this whole album yeah. sprinkled in. Some of them only last for, like, maybe 30 seconds of a song, but there's a lot of catchy parts to be found. Um, but yeah, this is definitely probably... lost my train of thought (laughs) um this is probably like the most in line of the album with like the late 60s psych rock pop kind of movement like the hippie movement yeah i could definitely i could definitely see this being on 
a compilation album of the time and it completely fitting in and you know if you didn't know who be just being a little weirder than what you're normally yeah. used to but... i mean because there was a lot of weird shit that came out of that time yeah. just nobody really took it as extreme as beefheart did yeah but... um also the guitar tone in this is i think it's only used in this song but it's a really good guitar tone okay it's a little different than the rest it like feels really really right okay but yeah this is i'm pretty sure the most popular song on the album um I mean, it has its own Wikipedia article, and it's the only song on the album that does, and also uh, it said it was a fan favorite, and before this album was taken off Spotify for whatever reason, I think it, it said it had uh, the most plays out of any B-Fart song, so I guess it could be called uh, B-Fart's most popular song. So Yeah, that is another thing. This song was taken off of Spotify like right before we went to listen to it. Yeah, which was very frustrating, because listening to albums on YouTube, especially an hour and 18 minute album, it's really hard to keep track of what track you're on. Yeah, exactly. Um, so then we get to Pachuco Cadaver. Yeah, Pachuco, Pachico, I don't think um, I don't like the spoken word part that's either at the beginning of the song or the end of the last one. It's hard to tell. I think it's the beginning of the song. It's uh, someone saying, a squid eating dough in a polyethylene bag is fast and bulbous. Got me? I... <laughs> I am tired of the phrase fast and bulbous you got already. It. It's fast I, and bulbous. It's fast and bulbous. <laughs> bulbous and fast. Um, but the song itself is like pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, um, it has a really cool opening riff that's really bouncy and catchy. And yeah, a lot of good uh, horn. Again, I I don't fucking know what... I feel like there's a saxophone on this one that I, that caught my attention. I don't know. Some horn is on here that had a, yeah. had a really cool part that I liked. Yeah, it's <laughs> another straightforward... like. Almost good song. Almost good song. <laughs> um, then we get to Bill's Corpse, which has another really cool riff, but it is mostly just Captain Beefheart or someone screaming. <laughs> yeah, this one, he sounds like a really weird, shady snake handler preacher on this one. Like, yeah. It just sounds like he's shouting, which, I mean, I don't remember what the fuck the lyrics are about, but it just know. feels like he's shouting, like, religious shit at you. Sounds like he's cutting a promo from the WWF. Yeah, I just, I remember one part being, like, various species sorted together by their religions and ideals or so, something like that. I don't fucking know. Uh, but ultimately, this song is nothing special, I don't think. Yeah, also... In the context of the album. Yeah, I also noted that I, that I enjoyed the riff in this one, but I don't even remember what that sounds like, so... No idea. They all kind of <laughs> run together as just discordant nightmares. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I am going to be dreaming about this album for many moons. Many moons. Many moonlights on Vermont. <laughs> <laughs> then we go to uh, Sweet Sweet Bulbs. Which just feels like a direct continuation of Bill's Corpse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this one has... I put it has a lot going on which every song does, but I feel like this one especially, like, the drums are kind of doing a jazz-type break beat-ish mm -hmm. thing behind behind the vocals, and then the guitar and bass kind of seem like they're doing an improvised blues solo. So it kind of feels like two different genres going on at once with the fucking ramblings of Beefheart. Uh, but it somehow kind of works. I like the instrumentation on this one. Um, then we also get some pretty vivid imagery with Beefheart saying his lady has a hominy smile and a hominy snatch. Oh, I don't know what that means. I think hominy is a uh, corn grain, something like that. Oh, she has a boozy snatch. Yeah, I guess her pussy is corn. I don't fucking know what that it means. Boozy. Boosy. <laughs> Gary Bussy. Gary Bussy. <laughs> um, this is just more okay avant-garde rock, though. Mm -hmm. For the most part. Uh, then we get to Neon Mate Dream of an Octofish. Yeah, what the fuck? They, they say it like meat? 
Beyond Meat Dream of an but, Octopus. But it's it's meat with an E. So I with don't know. Oh, yeah, meat with an E. Yeah, so I... I was thinking of the other meat, like you meet somebody. Mm, no, it's... Yeah, it's M-E-A-T-E. Yeah, it's... So I don't know what I, it means. I don't know if that's a word or if they're just spelling meat weird, but... Who um, the fuck knows? But it's a, another spoken word track that is just a bunch of nonsense. No, this one isn't spoken word. Is he singing? It sounds like he was just talking. But it has a... It has its, it's not an acapella, but it is still spoken okay, word. Okay, yeah, yeah. spoken word and have music. I mean, okay, my, my yeah. band is spoken word with music. Yeah, I mean, it's just fucking confusing. I I was considering the spoken word tracks the ones that don't have instruments, but yeah. This one this one is spoken word, but it has instrumentation behind it. Um, and the instruments go fucking weird. Yeah, this one is one of the more enjoyable songs to me for the album, just because the absolute absurdity, because the instruments are very, very fucking weird. And this one, I mean, even though... All the songs are pretty much just ramblings. This one especially is. Like, he just... He like, just talks. Yeah, like, this one has two of the most laugh-out-loud moments of the entire album for me. Uh, the first is whenever he just goes, Tra-la-la, tra-la-la, la. <laughs> like, very... <laughs> it's just, like, very fucking loud. I mean, yeah. I mean, he's loud on the rest of the track, but when he does it, he's just like, tra-la-la. <laughs> and then he, uh, a little later than that, he says... Uh, squirming serum and semen and syrup and semen and syrup <laughs> he's a fucking weird guy i, I don't fucking but, know but uh this is one of the, my favorites on the album yeah me too i, th I think it's a it takes uh the just absurdity of the entire album just uh, it's just like the right mixture of everything is going on in this track for me yeah so. um then we get to china pig which is one of the songs that was recorded at their house on the recorder okay so that explains the very shitty production values of this yeah track. um it <clears throat> it patterns itself after a blue song and it for most of the track just feels like a regular old blue song yeah it really sounds like a robert johnson song to me uh because with the very subpar production uh the guitar and vocals or er, it's just guitar and vocals, and the guitar is a lot louder than the vocals, which is how yeah. Robert Johnson tracks are, because obviously that show was recorded in, like, the 30s. With, like, one microphone. <clears throat> yeah, so it kind of has that feel, which I, I was assuming was intentional until I found out that they recorded it. I mean, maybe that's why they chose this one out of all the house recordings to be on the album. Maybe it's a homage to that, because, as we previously stated, Robert Johnson was a favorite of yeah. the part, so could be intentional, but... Yeah, it's really just a straight up blues song until like the last fifteen seconds of the song. Yeah, it gets goes, weird. It goes a little it goes wacky. A little, a little wacky. Yeah, and then the lyrics are a little weird, but not not too weird. I mean, all the lyrics are weird. Yeah, not not weird as uh, like neon me dream of an octopus or something of the likes. Yeah. Um. Then we get to my human gets me blues, which is another rock forward song <laughs> on the album. Um. The only thing I had to say about this one is that it's a banger. Mm -hmm. I like this one. And the more I listen to this album, the more the album speaks to me. Uh, which is not my real opinion. <laughs> I don't know why I wrote that. <laughs> I think I was losing it. A sleeper agent fucking hacked your brain. I think it's like Alien Kids where I just fucking lost my shit. <laughs> it's like, oh, yes, I love this. <laughs> like, I had to force myself to be like, oh, I like this album <laughs> so I can keep listening to it. I like it. 
<laughs> that's what happened with Alien Raps. I like, I like told myself I liked the album, <laughs> and then I got back to my notes and was like, this album fucking sucks. Yeah. What the fuck? But yeah, My Human Gets Me Blues is a like you said, pretty straightforward, uh, kind of kind of a mix of garage rock, proto punk, heavy blues, kind of in the vein feeling. Um, but yeah, the the only really weird part about the song is the lyrics, obviously, and then the lead guitar parts, and then. The whole instrumentation instrumentation is a little off time, but kind of one of the more uh, in sync you know, tracks on the album, where it seems like they actually uh, were. Seems like what? the off time was on purpose. Yeah, seems like they were actually playing with each other on this one. So, <laughs> um, then we get to Dolly's car, which I think this song shows mm. incredible knowledge from the band about music. It's good, but it's bad. It's good, but it's bad. It's rhythmic, but it's scattered. It's melodic, but it's discordant. It's it's possibly the greatest example of what the band was able to do. Hmm, okay, yeah, this one's only a little guitar solo, right? I think there's some I think there's some vocals in this one. I don't remember. I think this one's just a guitar it might just be solo. a guitar solo. Yeah, like it's it's really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it, it was. It's pretty. Uh, it's kind of ominous feeling. Yeah, because it's just a guitar, like like literally a guitar solo, like nothing else. Uh, yeah, it has it has kind of a trippy weird kind of kind of creepy vibe to it uh, and then it leads directly into hair pie bake 2 so we yeah. got a sequel to the first hair pie bake and uh this one might even go harder than the first one i don't know um i put specifically that if you listen to one song on the album i think it should be this one yeah this one really is almost straight up math rock yeah honestly this, like this proto song, math rock this song fucks yeah like i was pretty shocked i mean there's parts of the album before this and after this that kind of have that feeling of of kind of math rock-ish um, yeah. influences but this one is like straight up like i feel like this sounds like an undiscovered math rock song from the 60s <laughs> with yeah. like 60s production values uh some really good shit here i really like this one like if if i were to only tell you to listen to one song on the album i think it would also be this one hair, hair, hair pie bake too um then we get to pinna Pina? Pina. I, th- I think there's a little, uh... Mm. I didn't see what, that on... What are they called? A tilde? Not a tilde. Um, whatever. The, the fucking... The fucking Inye from Spanish. Yeah. I mean, it's it's also very likely that my phone just autocorrected it to that. Yeah, my phone also turned autocorrected. I don't know. I didn't see it on YouTube. Yeah. Pina, 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 Whatever. Pina. Um, uh, all I have for this one is it's ultimately not a bad song. It's nothing special. And then I'm going to have the phrase fast and bulbous stuck in my head for fucking ever. Fast and bulbous. No, it's like this. I say fast and bulbous. <laughs> you get away for me to say this. Maybe says something else. Uh, <laughs> bulbous and fast. So, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, at first I wasn't sure if it was Beefheart singing on this track. Because instead of uh, the signature gravelly deep voice that Beefheart employs... We kind of have a high-pitched and whiny, shrieky, uh, almost like harsh vocals on this song. And uh, it turns out, upon further inspection, that this one is uh, Jeff Cotton, a.k.a. Atene Jimmy Siemens, on vocals. Okay. But, yeah, this one's really weird. Like, it sounds like he's on the verge of fucking insanity. <laughs> like, I mean, He probably was. Like, it's really funny. After, after what was it, nine months living in a house with Captain Beefheart? Mm-hmm. 18 months, I think it's 18 months? Yeah. Maybe 14. Something. I don't know. Um, after a month of living in a house with Captain Beefheart, <laughs> eating nothing but kidney beans and fist fighting all the fucking time. 
it's I would a vibe. also I would also be losing my mind. <laughs> yeah. I was losing my mind <laughs> listening to the album, let alone making it. Yeah, exactly. But it's it's really funny because the the vocal style that he uses on this like made me think of uh dude from I Set My Friends on Fire. Like it sounds like him. It, oh my god, it kind of does. It does. Like, it's that kind of, like, he sounds like he's on the verge of tears, but he's, like, screaming, and I don't know, he sounds like a minion doing harsh vocals. Like, I don't fucking know. Oh it was very god. weird. And I'm, I think I'm better off in my mind knowing that it wasn't Beefheart doing that, because I don't know if I could handle knowing that he could do that, because... Yeah, it's too much power for one beef. That's too much vocal range for one Beefheart. Um, after that, we get Well, which is another acapella song oh, about... wait, backtrack. Oh. I have uh, some some really good lyrics from Pina. Oh, you have some really good lyrics from Pina? Yeah, this one had some of the weirdest fucking lyrics on the album. Uh, we got, while sitting on a turned-on waffle iron, smoke billowing up between her legs made me vomit beautifully. Some good visuals there. And then, uh, its droppings were tiny green phosphorus worms that moved in tuck and rolls that clacked and whispered in their confinement. Three little burnt scotch-taped windows several yards away. Mouth opened to tongues that vibrated and lost sal- saliva. Pina exclaimed, that's the raspberries. Okay. So that gives you some, uh, some idea of what happens in this album, but also will make you say, what the fuck? I, I don't know what anything <laughs> that means, and I listened to the album. I, I don't think they even know what it means, but I, I just thought that those were two standout what the fuck moments on this album. So, <laughs> um, and then we get to, so we get to Well, which mm-hmm. is an acapella song. Yeah, the second of the three. Uh, it's about despair, question mark? Yeah, this is out of the three acapella tracks, this is the least notable. I don't hate it, I don't like it. I mean, it's really... I got nothing except that he says well, well, like 57 times. He does say well, well, like 57 times. Pretty much the whole the whole layout of the song is he'll say a phrase and then say well, well. Yeah. And then rinse and repeat for the whole track. <laughs> um, and then we get to when Big Jones sets up. She sure did set up. Um, the vocals in this song are very poorly mixed. Okay. I didn't catch that. Which is unfortunate be... because it sounds like it could have been the best vocal performance on the album. Okay. Yeah, this one is also the longest song on the album at a little over five minutes. It is very long. Yeah, I have a lot of notes for this one. Mm-hmm. Um, Squidward comes back. <laughs> Guess who's back? <laughs> uh, if I had known the clarinet player's real name, I would not have been saying Squidward because it's not nearly as funny as his real fucking name. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm so upset. <laughs> Mascara snake. Um, but he gets some good phrases out of the clarinet this time. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't overstay his welcome. And the guitar does some pretty interesting stuff. I like the song. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty decent song. Um, kind of touches on everything introduced in the album thus far. But I will <clears throat> I will say I kind of wanted more from one of the handful of songs on the album that's over three minutes. Yeah, because like a lot of this album is short. So seeing a over five minute track, I was expecting a lot more. Like I was kind of, I was kind of expecting something along the lines of hair, pay, hair, hair pie bake two, yeah, that's what it's fucking called, hair pie bake two, but with lyrics uh, added onto it. But I mean, really, all I got was kind of, kind of mid. Like it's all right, but nothing really, yeah, very noteworthy for me. All I really got was that a uh, big Joan is big, but her hands are very small, so people laugh at her. <laughs> That's pretty much what this song's about. Poor so. Joan. And then we got a Fallen Ditch. And besides That Cow Blues, this is probably the most serious song on the album in terms of lyrical matter. Uh, okay. 
kind of touches on being afraid of dying lonely and not being remembered. Yeah, I mean, it's just like saying he's going to fall in his ditch and somebody's going to pile the dirt on top of him. He doesn't want to doesn't want to fall in the ditch. So um, I put this down as a pretty <laughs> unremarkable mess. I mean, it's it's pretty unremarkable, but it's a pretty unremarkable mess. But yeah. lyr- lyrical matter, it's pretty, I guess, serious if you want to call uh, yeah, it that. Yeah, I just give that it does have another uncomfortable spoken word section, like spoken section at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only line I was able to parse, uh, I didn't look up on Genius to double check this. Um, I have no idea what it really says, but I heard Rocky Martin runs on beans. Yeah, <laughs> is that what he actually says? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that context I gave you about them surviving on beans. Yeah, that plays in. Rocky Martin runs on beans. Yeah, or no, it's a Rocky Rocky Rocket. Rocky Rocket. Yeah, runs on beans. Yeah, he says something. It's like Rocky Rocket didn't get all the girls this time, or something, and he's like, he ran them off or something, and he's like, he's like, what is what does Rocky Rocket run on? And then somebody in the back is like, say beans, and he's like, Rocky Rocket runs on beans. <laughs> so I, I mean, at least I had some fun with the fact that they only ate beans for a month, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, then we get to Sugar and Spikes, um, which come starts off with a pretty good guitar section. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, the vocals aren't the worst. I, I don't have much anything else to say about the song. Yeah, all I got to say about it is there's a pretty crazy drum solo near the end that went pretty fucking hard. Uh, okay. I kind of wish we would have got more of that in the album. Yeah, pretty crazy I mean, drum parts. Pretty good drums. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was like a really, really uh, I don't want to say intense, but just really uh, spastic drum solo that I really enjoyed. And then uh, at the end, Beefheart also turns into a chicken. <laughs> he just goes like bark, 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 bark. <laughs> like, did you did you get that part? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so then we get to Ant-Man B, which is another blue song and a fairly tame one. Mm-hmm. Um, more clarinet, a little too loud, more Squidward. Kind of ruined my vibes. <laughs> vibes equals ruined. Um, do you have anything to say about the song? Why Ant-Man B? Ant-Man B. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, we, we had to pause for a second. <laughs> I was like, wait. <laughs> um, what song are we on? They all kind of run together. Yeah. Um, I mean, it for me, it kind of sounds like Rolling Stones a little bit, like Rolling Stones early, really blues-inspired okay. stuff. Kind of sounds like that meets the Stooges. Um, it's kind of like that proto-punk feel a little bit. Uh, some really good sax solos that remind me of parts of the album Funhouse by the Stooges, which is a really good album if you haven't listened to it. It's pretty much just proto-punk, but with, like, full fucking... Oh, proto-ska. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, it's not, it's not like ska. It's like fucking uh, just blues-ish horns and shit. Okay. But, yeah, it kind of reminded me of that with the direction the song went, which okay. uh, made for one of the better songs on the album for me, I think. Yeah, other than the clarinet. Good song. <laughs> um, then we get to Orange Claw Hammer, which is another acapella one. Mm-hmm. Um, this one kind of sounds like the Gilligan Island theme. Yeah, it's... Which, I mean, thematically fits because it's... I mean, I'm... This is very, very loose interpretation, but I mean, I'm assuming he's a pirate and then he finds his long-lost daughter. <laughs> Something like that. I just know there's a man with a peg leg and he knows. That's all I caught from him. He knows. I don't know. It's a bunch of, it's, it's more fucking nonsense. Yeah, just more fucking it's ramblings. way too long. It's like two minutes long. Three minutes long. Yeah, I will say this is my favorite of the three acapella tracks. It's not like the Gilligan's Island theme, yeah. Yeah, um... And then there's also a part where he stutters and he's like, uh, lick, lick, licorice. 
Yeah. And I don't know if that was intentional or not, and I don't know if it would make more sense if it was or wasn't. But uh, yeah, I got some uh, some good lyrics from this one too to give you a feel of the song. Uh, I was shanghaied by a high-hat beaver mustache man and his pirate friend. I woke up in vomit and beer and a banana bend, and a soft lass with brown skin bore me seven babies with snapping black eyes and beautiful ebony skin, and here it is, I'm with you, my daughter. <laughs> so, okay, who fucking knows? <laughs> no idea. I like a, a bunch of gibberish. I like the high-hat beaver mustache man. <laughs> high-hat beaver mustache man. That's my new band name. Yeah, that's a good band name. Um, then we got a wildlife, which I like the horn section in the song. That's all I got. <laughs> uh, it's a really cool lead guitar section near the midpoint. Cool guitars and horns. That's all we got. That's all we got. Yeah, these uh, these three songs specifically, wildlife, she's too much for my mirror, and hobo chainba. I these were the last three for me to get notes on. It was very hard for some reason. Yeah, for these uh, she's too much for my mirror. Starts the spoken spoken intro that introduces this as a famous version of another song. Mm-hmm. That's all I got for it. Doubt. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of one of the more catchy songs on the album. Kind of just another blues rock track with some noodly guitar. But yeah, it's really straightforward. That's about it for that one. Then um, we got a Hobo Changba. Uh, all I got is that beef heart kind of sounds like Sloth from the Goonies. Uh, I put they one. sound like a dying seal. Okay, so. Um, I also put the line, now this is jazz. He says that? No, I said it. Oh, you said it, okay. I just said that. Now, yeah. this is jazz. Now, this is jazz. Okay. Um, also, there are Christmas bells. Oh, I didn't catch Near the Christmas end of bells. the song, there's, like, Christmas bells. Okay. Don't, some... know, don't know why they're there. Mm, there's some teams. Sounds, they're not really teams. It's like... Oh, wait, yeah. I did catch that, yeah. Yeah, it sounds like some reindeer are coming for you. Yeah. Um, then we get to the blimp. Mousetrap replica. <laughs> we in the mousetrap. <laughs> yeah, all I got for this is... I don't know who the fuck it is. Maybe it's a uh, seaman dude, Jeff Seaman, what the fuck ever yeah. his name was. Antenna Jeffrey Seaman. Yeah, maybe it's him, uh, but somebody about 57 times in the song just says, the blamp, the blamp, oh god, the blamp. Um, I'm pretty sure the you ready has been sampled. Really? There's all this goes like, you ready? Okay. You think they sampled it I think, from I think it's a sample from Catherine Beefheart. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, you'll need to figure out what that is, and we can compare it. God, I can't... It's, I just remember the line, you ready? <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's kind of vague, though. Yeah, I know, but, it, <laughs> but he just said the, the exact same thing. Just way. the inflection he used? Yeah. I mean, you could probably just search, like, Captain Beefheart rap sample. Was it in a rap song? I don't remember. Or, I mean, you could just use, say, Captain Beefheart samples and other music. Yeah, um... The drums start off pretty fucking cool, and I really like that the old school radio sounding vocals. You're like, talking uh, about the blimp? Yeah. Oh, okay. I, li- I like I like the uh, the effects used on the vocals in the song. Mm, yeah, I mean, yeah, it does sound like it sounds like somebody is on a fucking emergency radio broadcast yeah. saying I, the, blimp, the blimp. I think this is probably inspired by War of the Worlds. Okay. Yeah, it's it's a very very weird one. It's like kind of spoken word, I guess. Because, I mean, it's really just him shouting, but... Yeah. And, hey, we're, uh, we only have three songs left. Four songs. Wait, no, three songs. Three songs. Right. <laughs> um, so we got Steal Softly Through Snow, which is another nonsense song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, has some of my favorite instrumentation on the album, uh, but 
not a lot really noteworthy on vocals for sure one of the most subdued vocal performances yeah the the instrumentation is really good mm -hmm. uh, also for some reason at this point i just started thinking about the mighty boosh okay i feel like this album and the mighty boosh kind of have the same vibe yeah <laughs> but like i enjoy the mighty boosh so i know that i would enjoy this album if i just had the right experience with it mm -hmm. um but there's not much more to say about the song then we get to Old Fart Play. And this might have some of the weirdest lyrics on the album, which is saying a lot. <laughs> like, Yeah, it's like a stream of consciousness. Yeah, there was numerous times on this song that I was just like, how, how the fuck does anyone even think of this? <laughs> which uh, I read that this was originally intended to be an instrumental, but I think it was Zappa, maybe said that he thought it seemed weird as an instrumental like he thought it needed some vocals so Beefheart just took one of his uh like beat poems that he had wrote and just put it on the instrumentation and then okay that makes I, a lot more sense yeah and then i think like drumbo or somebody said that they didn't like that i had vocals they thought it was kind of forced but it makes sense because this is very weird just it's ramblings. a very weird forced rambly song yeah with uh here's an example for you uh Smell cold mixed with baloney. Rubber bands crumpled wax paper bonnets. Fat goose legs and special jellies ignited by the warmth of the room. The old fart smelled this through his important breather holes. <laughs> so there you go. Whatever that means. Yeah, I like important breather holes. And then we get to Veterans Day Poppy. Yeah, the, the final track on this fucking monstrosity of an album. And it's an instrumental track. Is it? thought so. Did I, did I just not hear the vocals? I think there's some vocal. There, it, there is a really long instrumentation section okay. or instrumental section. But yeah, there's some vocals. I think it's hard when, when I re-listened to it today, I must just skipped around. <laughs> yeah. I was just skipping around like, are there vocals? I must have just missed it. Okay. I mean, like we said, listening on YouTube, it's very hard to know sometimes when tracks end and begin. And also, I will say, this is the only album I've ever listened to on YouTube where numerous times an ad came up and I genuinely didn't know if it was part of the album or not. Oh, I have YouTube Premium. I don't. I didn't have to bother with ads. Yeah, like, there was at least, like, five or six times. One in specific was um, the first time listening to the album. I think it was between, like, Deck How Blues and whatever comes after that. Like, it was very early on in the album. Um, you know those Oreo commercials that Will Arnett voices? Yeah, one of those came up, and I genuinely thought it was one of the song, like one of the parts of the album. And then he said something about, you know, you want Oreos, and I was like, wait, what the fuck? <laughs> and I went on there, and it was an Oreo ad. And I was like, okay, that's not out of place for the album, though. Yeah, like because there's so many like in the in ends and beginnings of tracks and shit, like just them saying random shit, like fast and bulbous, like it, it just kind of fits in. Like there was. There was multiple times through, even even uh, on repeat listens, because it's so long, you don't remember fucking everything. Like, there was multiple times where an ad came up, and it took me, like, ten seconds to be like, oh, wait, this isn't part of the album. So, so yeah, it makes sense why you would uh, not remember that there's vocals on the song. But, yeah, I'm pretty sure it starts off with vocals, and there's, like, a very long instrument, instrumental section. And then okay. I think there's some more vocals at the end, but... Okay. Um, either way, it sounds like it could be the game over music in a B-tier action game from, like, 2003. Okay, I can see that. Um, I will say, like, it's it's an alright song, but I kind of long for a little more wackiness in the closing song. Yeah. Like, I I feel like it could have gone out it before. It ended on a pretty normal 
normal vibe. Yeah, it could have gone out with more of a bang. But there you have it. There is all 26, I think, tracks on that. However many tracks there are, there's all of them. Um, I only got three lyrics because I spent a lot of time last night putting together lyrics and then my computer decided not to save them. Rip. So I've got Fast and Bulbous. Fast and Bulbous. Fast bulbous and Bulbous. And, fast. Um, and then I got Dachau Blues. Those poor Jews. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't... I didn't know what he was saying after Dachau Blues on the song, which if I would have known, then I probably would have known it was about the Holocaust, because I got all the parts about World War II and him saying World War Three and shit like that, but I didn't get those poor Jews, so. And uh, then my final lyric is, ingest, incest, ingest, ingest, in feast, incest. Yeah, that's on a... Uh, neon Meat, Dream of an Octopus. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of times on that song where he like the syrup and semen, and he, yeah. he would just like take three words and interchange them for like a whole fucking bar of, of lyrics. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't get any lyrics besides the ones I had throughout the track listing. So, so um, yeah, um, but you could really take almost any song on this album and find a very weird lyric. So <laughs> yeah, but those are just some more some of the more standout ones, I guess. Uh, what are your favorite songs? Um, so I had to go through and mark my favorite songs when we were going over this. Because uh, okay. as you know, I, I have I have a history of not writing down my favorite and least favorite songs. He's going with the vibe, but there are so many fucking songs. Yeah, I saw you doing that, and I was wondering what you were doing. So my favorite songs are Moonlight in Vermont. Okay. Um, Neon Meat Dream of an Octofish. Uh-huh. China Pig. Hare's Pie Bake 2. When Big Jones Sets Us Up. And I guess that's it. Okay. I got, I put these together, Hair Pie, Bake 1 and 2. I just, sure. inclu- yeah. I just included them as the same. Uh, Ella Guru, Neon Meat Dream of an Octofish, Ant-Man B, and My Human Gets Me Blues. And my least favorite songs are all of the spoken word ones. Uh, fair enough. Um, I got When Big Jones Sets Up, The Blimp, Mousetrap Replica, Sugar and Spikes, Well, and China Pig. <laughs> so... Yeah, I mean the the spoken or the acapella ones were all pretty hard to listen to just because they're so fucking weird. But I I kind of like the other two besides Well, but Well was just kind of pointless for me. At least the other ones had some interesting shit going on. But <sighs> that being said, um, this album holds a three point six three from nineteen thousand three hundred and fifteen ratings on Write Your Music. Three point six three, so a seven point two six. Okay. Um. That is a number. I mean, you gotta consider that pretty much every professional review site slash magazine gave this shit like a ten out of ten. Yeah. <laughs> I am going to go. And this might be a little controversial. Oh, controversial. In my current state, in my current knowledge of the album, in the current experiences I have had, I have to give it a three. Okay. With the caveat that I do believe it can raise if I have the right experience with it, I will yeah. be coming back to this album to try to have another experience. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I definitely will do the same as well. We might even fucking do the same together. I don't know. That might be a good idea, because I don't know if I, if I could handle handle this uh, album and 
that state of mind without somebody that is also in that state of mind. Yeah. I think I would probably have a very bad experience with some some parts of the album, but uh, I don't fucking know. Like, this is the hardest one to rate so far, even harder than the Shags. Because um, it's like there's definite flashes of genius on this album, but there is also parts where I see what they're going for or what Beefheart is going for, but it falls flat for me. I don't know. Like, I think my... I appreciate the background behind this album, what it stood for, the influence it's had, and just the absurdity of, like, the recording process and writing process. Like, every... Everything that goes into the album besides the actual listening experience, I rate higher in my mind than the listening experience. Yeah. Like, I definitely, no matter what score I give it, I won't take away any of that from the album. Like, it's definitely very important. I yeah, think, and I think it's I, a very important album. Yeah, I think it deserves all the praise it's been uh, had. I think it deserves all the influence that it's given things. It deserves to be in the Library of Congress, like everything that this album holds in terms of accolades is very deserving, but I guess I would have to give it a five and a half. Five and a half? Yeah. I really want to go higher. I don't know though. It's just, it's just very long and just too, I don't even know the word for it. Like, I won't say too drawn out or too out there because I, I like the fact that it's out there. I don't know. It's just a lot. Like you said, I just, I, I need to experience this even more, which yeah. is, which is crazy because I've listened to a fucking hour and 18 minute album like six or seven times. Yeah. Uh, so. I think this is an album that you really need to listen to a lot of times to get the full experience. Um, does it deserve one last breath? Yes, definitely. I think you should listen to it. Yeah, I think, I think everyone should listen to this album. Yeah, literally everybody, no matter what. Which, the last time we said this about an album was, what, Attila? I think so, yeah. Um, so there you have it. No, um, I, think I said that about the Shags. I okay. said I thought everybody should listen to it. Okay. I think the last time we were both in agreement was Attila, though. Uh, yeah, which, I mean, also that goes to say, if you enjoy the shags and you haven't heard this or vice versa, I think yeah. you would, you would probably, yeah, if you enjoy one, you'll probably enjoy the other. Yeah. Which I mean, I, I guess, I guess it's kind of true for me. Like I, I like the shags a lot more than this, but like we said, like this out of anything we've covered thus far, this has the most experience to grow in rating for both of us. I yeah. think so. Um, so we will see you next week with something somehow harder to listen to. God, I, I do not even know what to expect. And I also think this album that we are covering next is uh, at least 20 songs. So I don't... God damn it. This, um, this might be the first album I have to go into uh, Incognito on Spotify for because I don't know if I want this on my I list. I am it. not doing that because I'm not a coward. Uh, I mean, yeah, I guess I'll just suck it up. But but um, So yeah, if you like hearing us torture ourselves... Rate, 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 and review us on Spotify or Apple Music or whatever you listen to, please. Yeah. Um, if you like my voice, you can also hear me on the beautiful D and D podcast, Dread Pod, where I play Tab the Paladin, and we're going through a little horror campaign. It's a little, it's a little horror vibe. Oh, nice. Um, it's really fun. So, um, 
definitely check this check us out rate and review us please and you have a wonderful rest of your day and get ready for us to torture ourselves some more yeah see you next time